Sean Sewell here with the Engagement.com podcast, and I'm super excited to have this next guest on, Dr. Craig Marker from Mercer University. I have known of Craig's work for years, and I got to learn alongside him at my first SFG, um, and then in 2017 at SFG1 in Denver. He's also in the Quick and the Dead. I'm on page 43, and he's on pages 44 through probably 200, because he did a lot of hard work with Pavel in that book. So we're going to have a lot to talk about, about hurt versus hit, um, exposure therapy, um, training for life and anti-fragility, and just a lot of fun stuff. So this is a great episode. Dr. Craig Marker, thank you for being on the show. My pleasure, Sean. It's uh, great to, to meet you. I, I mean, we've met before, but just to meet you in this type of format and to have this time to just sit and chat. So oh, I've been looking forward to this for years. Um, so Craig hosted the Strong First podcast, which was my favorite podcast. And I would spend, I listened to every podcast at least twice and take notes. And like it was a dream of mine to ever, ever have a discussion with Craig, especially on a podcast. And I would never dream it would be like this today. So thank you. This is going to be a lot of fun. All right. Where to start? So many things we can cover. Um, so what got you into, uh, studying health and fitness? Um, well, first of all, I mean, it was maybe selfish reasons. I was always interested in bettering myself. I did, did a lot of research. My, my background is in psychology, but also in a lot of uh, statistics. I have uh, kind of a quantitative, um, parallel path that I've taken. So I've done a lot with research and I just remember some of my early research and statistics class, just bringing in nutrition articles and kind of reading about, um, you know, what's the, this latest supplement, what's the research on it and just trying to figure out if it's useful or not. And just uh, got into, I mean, I do a lot of reading the research and I, I really enjoy that. I think for some people it's, it's maybe difficult or it's just uh, difficult in the way of like you read one study and you think, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. And then another study doesn't show that. And then it's just overwhelming. So I, I feel like it's just a piece of the puzzle and I need to figure out all the different pieces. And it, this is looking promising and should I use it or not? And I'm like, I'll give it a shot and, and those type of things. So I was always interested in bettering myself. I do a lot of experimentation on myself. I, I love the idea of testing it out and see if it works or not. And I think there are a lot of individual differences. So um, a big part of it is, does it work for me? Does it work for you? And, you know, how does it work differently? So that's, that's a lot of what my other research is, is based on individual differences and how um, things are different for different people. Oh, I love that. You know, um, your research is actually very easy to read, too, on Breaking Muscle and on Strong First and all your articles. They, they bring in, like one of yours was about a little dose of poison, right? That was a great story about, like, exposure to things, exposure therapy. And um, I shared that article with my, my students, my clients, and he's a data scientist, and he really appreciated the way you, you worded things because it's easy for a person outside of research to use words like proven as opposed to demonstrated, stuff like that. So the way you write is, is very palatable and approachable. I appreciate that. Yeah, I try to I, – I think I – my job, day job is teaching. So I, I try to, and I teach statistics. Nobody really likes to take, <laughs> nobody looks forward to taking a statistics yeah. course. So I have to really, you know, see the forest for the trees and really try to make it accessible to people. But thank you. I appreciate you saying that. That's, that's awesome. Well, um, you have many articles that are very helpful. Uh, one of them that I think is really relevant, especially for people in training, is a hit high intensity interval training. I know it's been a buzzword for a long time. It's an advertisement for a lot of gyms. It seems to attract a lot of people. I even did it back in the day. I'm guilty of training hit classes and train myself with hip. And um, personally, I know I take notes of every exercise session I do for myself and for my students and clients. And with the hit workouts, we didn't really see 
good results, right? It was like hit or miss and a lot of overtraining on myself, especially. So then you have this article, Hit versus Hurt. Can you describe what Hurt is? Sure, sure. Yeah, and then maybe I'll start with just the background on HIT training. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I think it is a useful training method for where it's applicable. And uh, the, the original research, you know, Tabata, um, and he had worked with the Japanese skating team, and they were looking at, you know, how to, to better improve, um, you know, their their intervals. And, um, you know, he did these sprint intervals and 20 seconds on, 10 seconds off, and up to eight rounds of that. So that's four minutes. Um, if the seventh round, if you're starting to lose power, you don't do the eighth. Um, so true hit is really, really difficult because to give your full out effort for 20 seconds, 10 seconds off um, is no rest period really. So um, that's a really tough thing to do. So I see a lot of um, applications that are called hit and it's really not hit. You can't do hit for 30 minutes, um, no, no matter who you are. I don't yeah. think anybody can do hit truly for 30 minutes, um, but that's useful for about 30 days. And then, you know, the research studies are looking at four weeks of hit and improved 5K times, improved endurance, all of these great effects. But I think the problem with it is if you go past 30 days, you're doing a lot of breakdown in the system and your body adapts and then it stops adapting and starts breaking down. And I think that's the, the long-term part of HIT isn't so useful. And I think that's where, you know, I think it's good in doses, but not, not too much of it. So um, high intensity repeat training, that's really something Pavel has been pushing for years. I mean, in, in weightlifting even, um, he's talked about this, leave a little bit in the tank, leave a, a rep or two in the tank. And that's, that's that same idea, you really push um, and then your next set, you can perform the repeat part just as well as you did the set before. So you're you're trying to give yourself, it's basically you're putting an all out effort in like hit, but you're giving yourself more rest so you can repeat it and do it again later. And that helps the body recover and perform better the next round. So you're, you're breaking down things a little bit, recovering and then doing it again. And instead of just continual breakdown set after set. Well explained. And, and I've tested out uh, for the last three years since the Strong Endurance Seminar, actually three years and a week. And, uh, and all the people I train online or in person have gone through now hurt style training and they've seen the benefit and they feel good the next day and the next day and we can plan out things. Um, but I'm, I'm glad to say you're very diplomatic about HIT. It has a place, but not more than 30 days or a month or so. Um, yeah. And, and you're one of the first success stories. I mean, you're one of the guinea pigs who tested this, this style programming. So, uh, um, you, and you showed great success with it. So I appreciate that. You know, uh, Eric Frohart and I, and back to your, 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 your and Pavel's idea of leaving a little bit in the tank, Eric and I, the first time we met was over a coffee and I didn't know he was with strong first and uh, a Navy seal. I just knew he was an outdoor man who liked kettlebells. So I went into a blind, we had a great time riffing and talking and, uh, we're talking about backcountry skiing. I do split boarding. He does backcountry skiing. And I mentioned something about, I always leave at least one run on the mountain. And his eyes lit up. And he's like, that's the, our philosophy of training. I was like, oh, well, I like your training. I'm, I'm coming in. And uh, it's, it's so helpful. Like going really hard, but leaving a little bit left over. Because life's going to throw you some weird stuff. And if you can't adapt to it, then what's the point of training?
Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yep. And, and I think that that military idea is, you know, that you never, and especially uh, Eric and, and the Navy SEALs, you never knew what you're going to have to do and deploy. So you needed to, it, it's just functional. You have to, you can't uh, say, I, I can't go today because I did leg day yesterday. Yes. You have to, you have to be ready to deploy at any moment for, yes. for missions. So. Ah, this is so cool. It's so helpful. Um, how did you do, how did you do the research to find out uh, what rest periods and what, um, you know, exercise to rest ratios were, were in place? Like, how did that all develop? Well, I, I think a lot of, you know, Pavel really is the, the most brilliant person I know, and he can really take some complicated literature and, and um, analyze it and kind of figure out what the best pattern is. And he, he does it uh, more intuitively. He's reading a lot of the old Soviet literature. And the way they came about doing it was they look at a large group of people and figure out what worked best. Where we in more Western science, we take a group of 12 people, try this one idea and see, does it work for this group of 12? So um, the Soviets were amazing of keeping logs of uh, every practice session uh, or every workout. Uh, I, I call it practice session, but every workout. And so there's a Medvedev, uh, um, a year of Soviet weightlifting, and he goes through all the workouts and everything and analyze what are the best techniques. And that's what Pavel does, and he can read things. And so he was, you know, coming at it from that idea. Um, and then we just started playing with different protocols. So we had some that um, had more reps and longer rest intervals, some with uh, shorter work intervals and, and uh, shorter rest. And what we, you know, we were finding different effects. And I think, you know, we really have to get into the physiology of what's happening um, to figure out, you know, what work to rest ratio, but uh, they all have that same principle. You're going to push your body into an adaptive state, not too far where you're breaking it down, but it adapts and then it gets better later on. And some of those, uh, you know, some of those things are better for hypertrophy. Some of them are better for more endurance. Some are f better for fat loss. So we were just playing with different plans and testing things out. So we we're kind of doing, he brought in the Soviet style and then we were kind of testing them sort of Western style where we we're, you know, doing small groups of, of testing. Oh, that's so cool. I it's so cool because you um, you gave me a program, O33C, and uh, Matthew Flaherty as well, I believe, and um, he had great success with it too. And he's a he's a father of two, and he applied it here in Steamboat Springs to uh, on a very long bike race of 100 and some miles. And yeah, it's amazing because on paper you look at it and you wouldn't believe it, like all oh, this extra rest, why why all the rest? But the, you know, the science behind it is legit, and the, the application, more importantly, is is real and realized. Um, and, and real quick on that on that protocol, I mean, what what's interesting about his results? It's a long bike race, and it's not anything related to you know kettlebells um, and sprints and kettlebells. So that's what's uh, unique about it is it, it brought those lasting effects, and maybe we don't know exactly what's happening, but created more mitochondria. His body could recover faster, and he had more endurance over a long term race. So he had had these really neat effects with it. Yeah, and for listeners and viewers. To, to give you an example of the differences in the, in the training and the application, 15 seconds all out basically compared to several hours of, of high intensity. And it, it correlated, it paid off uh, for him, for myself, for Eric Froher, for all the people who've gone through this program. So it's amazing stuff.
Yeah, yeah, yep. We're I was. It was always fun to live vicariously through you, through you all, and see these amazing effects. Um, oh, happy to do so. And, and, I, and I believe he also said, um, like, body composition-wise, it changed yeah. his his body composition quite a bit. So. Well, yeah, and well, and to give you credit, in uh, the Quick and the Dead, your own success. Let's talk about that for a moment, because yours is amazing, and also a little bit of the science behind it, because you're going to mention probably like telomeres and stuff. So. Please sure, sure. Yeah, no, I, I, again, like I like to, you know, measure as much as I can. And, and I was playing around a little bit with looking at uh, DNA and longevity. And, and so telomeres are the sort of the end caps of our DNA. And it's thought to be a protective factor. It's associated with aging. There's some different uh, methods that people are looking at to look at how much you're biologically aging. And this is one method that they're using. And um, so I decided to get measured and I believe I'm trying to remember when I was getting measured because I got measured. I didn't do it exactly at the beginning of the protocol, but I had been using these style protocols and at the end, and I just did it again. I think I'm now 14 years younger than I actually am according to my telomere age. That's incredible. Um, so I've got, uh, there's another Horvath method that I've got a kit and I'm gonna, I want to test that out too, but that's based on an, another process of methylation and, and what's happening. So, um, you know, I don't know what to, to, you know, they say exercise is good for your telomeres, but uh, in this, you know, in this case, it worked really well. Um, I also checked my testosterone. Um, you know, one of the things that happens when people overtrain is, you know, maybe their testosterone improves for a little bit, but over time it starts to go down when they start to overtrain. And my testosterone levels, and I forgot the numbers, I, I can look them up, but, you know, my testosterone level actually went up too. So, it, you know, I felt better and those are some indicators that I was, you know, actually doing better too. So well, that's fantastic news. Yeah. And as, as a person over 40 male, I track my testosterone and hormone levels too, make sure that I'm not overdoing it when things are moving forward. And yeah, it's uh, it's very important stuff. There's a lot more things to play than just calories in, calories out, and exercise. Like there's a lot of moving pieces. Um, so fascinating. And speaking of things outside of the training, is there other things that you incorporate into your lifestyle that you feel help you with um, recovery and performance? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm always trying to stay healthy. I think part of it as after getting um, over 40, you know, it's just staying healthy and being able to continually train. So I do things that are, um, you know, probably my 20s was figuring out what isn't good for me or was doing things that weren't good for me. 30s was figuring that out and 40s is don't do that stuff anymore. But, you know, trying to make sure like I have a good squat pattern, I have good mobility, um, you know, I have a, a two and a half year old, so sleep is uh, pretty good, but better than it was, but, you know, it's still a challenge at times, but, um, you know, trying to just make sure I have good recovery, eat well and, and those type of things, but. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. I mean, taking care of yourself outside of the training is very important. Um, and, you know, talking with Eric again on, a, on our last hike, he was talking about breathing through the nose and like, and breathing techniques in general. I mean, mm -hmm. I've recently learned more about breathing and obviously this weekend there's a really big event that I really want to attend for breathing through Strong First. But like box breathing or in your other work, psychological and um, mental health, do you incorporate breathing techniques to help with anxiety and other things? Yeah, Eric got me going on, um, Eric and um, uh, Peter Lakatos is really big on the breathing techniques and they got me really thinking about it. And, and Pavel, I, I, you know, went, went to the first, second wind in Hungary. And, um, you know, the idea is we 
just like with everything else, we can overindulge and we're kind of used to having too much air. And I know, I know you're up in Colorado, so it's, it's maybe a little bit different, but for us um, lowlanders, uh, we're, I don't know if that's even a term, but you know, I've got plenty of oxygen. I can breathe out my carbon dioxide, but to challenge that system, we build better sensitivity for, you know, um, we can handle less oxygen or um, handle more CO2 in our body and those type of things. So I do try to do a lot of nose breathing. Um, I haven't tried the, the duct tape over the mouth at night yet yeah, or anything like that. <laughs> Not happening, Eric. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, yeah, Eric was talking about how he walks his kids to the bus stop with duct tape on his face. <laughs> and I'm like, I would, you're probably getting some weird looks, but I, I don't think people mess with a, a former Navy SEAL. Yeah, Eric's in a whole other level of awesomeness. Um, he I, is, yes. On that hike that we were on last time, it was probably about 8,000 feet elevation. And he breathed through his nose the whole time. His heart rate never got above 130. And he had 50 pounds of d dumbbells and kettlebells in his backpack, just to give you guys a reference of Eric's level of, you know, intensity. Yeah. And Smart, you know, is very wise about it. You know, he gave me a lot of great advice, and I tried to uh, use most of it except for the duct tape on the mouth. But yeah, um, yeah, he's he's at a whole other level. So yeah. <laughs> he's a great guy. Um, exposure therapy. So I know that one of your articles, a little bit of something, um, is good for you. Um, Let's talk about that. Like, what are some things you expose yourself to, hot or cold or other things that help you adapt? Yeah, and I think it goes right along with that that high-intensity repeat training that, you know, this idea that we push a little bit to our discomfort, we create an adaptive response. And when we have an adaptive response, it's not a linear response. It's, it's you know, we have this big response to little stressors. And if so if we, and you know this, very well but if we keep stressing the body with the right dose we'll get stronger for it in the long run and just like you said with the air the less we breathe we have an adaptive response we become less sensitive to carbon dioxide buildup so you know that's the reason to to do that the, the nasal breathing um and it keeps his heart rate down and your heart rate down um you know i do a lot with cold exposure the you know, I live in Atlanta, so um, this is nothing like you would have to deal with. But like in the winter time, I like last winter, I, I didn't wear a jacket at all. Um, I, I don't even. I have a really old jacket, but it's you know it gets down to 20, 25 in the morning, and you know I, I take the dogs for a, you know two mile walk in the morning, and I just try not to wear a jacket. And um, you know, its first couple of weeks is pretty tough, but you build, you adapt to it. And you know, the mechanism for that is, you know, thought to, you know, build up more brown fat, which is associated with better insulin sensitivity and all of these other factors. So cold exposure is something I, you know, I, I do a lot in the winter. I, I have a tub that I've been meaning to put ice in, but I don't do it that often in the summertime. But, um, you know, summertime heat exposure is, you know, another good um, and that, you know, has other benefits. And so my car, I, I have air conditioning, but I never turn the air conditioning on and I never turn the heat on. So I come home from the office and I'm a sweaty mess. And, um, you know, my, my wife doesn't, you know, I, I try to give her a big hug, but for some reason she just wants to avoid me at that time. But, um, you know, we have these simple things where we can expose ourselves to discomfort. And, and that's, you know, I feel like it, it helps us uh, build a more adaptive body where we can handle heat and cold better and or lack of oxygen better. So those are some of the things I do. Um, you know, anything that feels a little uncomfortable, 
I, I try to do it. And, and that's sort of my gut reaction. If it, if it, I don't really want to do this. And I'm, I'm kind of a shy person. And I, I think one of the reasons I got into teaching was because I, like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be in front of a large group of people. And I felt like, well, this is what I need to do then is be in front of a large group of people and, and try to teach. And so um, anytime I feel uncomfortable, I, I tend to push towards it rather than avoid it. So. That's a big topic. That is really impressive. Yeah. Okay. Well, the, the, the hot and cold, everybody has access to either one of those at some point in time. And so, yeah, embrace it. And I like the saying of, uh, if it makes you uncomfortable, get comfortable with it, you know? And for you, going into being a professor, that is so courageous to go in and do that. Um, like you, I, I'm very shy. I have very high anxiety, social phobias. So when I go to do a group session or whatever, or go learn in a big group, I'm like, all right, I'm going to learn from this. I'm going to get a little tougher from this. And yeah, then after that, I go back and cope and go walk the dogs and recover. <laughs> yep, you need your recovery. You couldn't yeah, do it all. Yeah. Like, I have way too much cortisol if I uh, did it all the time, but exactly. it, it feels great to push myself through those things. And, you know, that's some of the, um, my psychology research is on anxiety disorders. And what we do is that, that sort of gradual exposure. You know, we have people who are socially anxious and we have them, you know, do something that's uncomfortable, you know, just stand up in front of me and give a little speech. And then we go to the grocery store and have them stand outside the grocery store and, you know, like wave to people and say, hi, welcome to um, the grocery store. I hope you have a good uh, um, shopping experience or, you know, there's, there's oranges on sale and we have them do like escalating activities where it becomes more and more difficult. Um, sometimes we have them lifting milk jugs in the store and like, I got to get my exercise in or doing things that bother them. So trying to look weird or whatever it is that bothers them. And, you know, um, we've done many karaoke nights and, and things that, you know, to really push people past their comfort zone. And if you can do those weird things and those extreme things, then the day to day, just talking to somebody new is not a big deal anymore. And that's, that's kind of the idea is just like we do with our training, we train um, past what we want to do in practice, you know, like with your hunts or your, your hiking, you know, you, um, you know, train, it's pretty extreme with kettlebells. You're not actually having to do that explosive of work when you're hiking, but you can handle if you slip and, and you, you know, fall or, or, you know, trip up because your body's, can handle those type of things. So we do extreme things that the normal doesn't feel very difficult anymore. That is such good advice on a lot of levels. And I, I like your, uh, your um, techniques for the anxiety. Those are great. And who doesn't want to be greeted at store? Hey, oranges are on sale. <laughs> so win, exactly. Win. <laughs> That's great. The, the show Impractical Jokers, I don't know if you've seen that, but um, they just do things to each other and they play practical jokes. And that's a great source of ideas for people with social anxiety. And, you know, one of the things we do is we go, have them go up to somebody and say, don't I know you? And, and just this, this idea of, um, you know, having to talk to somebody and this person's like, no, I don't know you and just get away from me. But they're having to deal with this sort of negative reaction to them. And, you know, it makes them stronger in the long run. Like I can handle anything if I can do those type of things. That is so cool and applicable. So anybody out there listening to this or watching this, you, you took some notes, hopefully from Craig right there. Um, you can go do this and expose yourself and adapt. Yep. And, and this isn't going to be helpful, but we, we do it with also with uh, people with OCD. And, you know, so imagine somebody's afraid of germs and 
Um, I don't know how many times I've had my hand just sit in a toilet, public restroom in a toilet, because we're exposing that person, you know, just if they can do that, they can live a life that's pretty normal because um, they know they can survive. So we do extreme things with any type of anxiety disorder to help people get, get past it. So um, OCD is always interesting because um, those are probably not as applicable to, to most people, but, you know, that's really fascinating. My whole family, um, they're all passed by now, but they had OCD in their hoarders. And so I lived in a home where I had a lot of exposure to different um, mental abilities and disabilities. And it's very fascinating to me how people see the world, how they operate, and how they adapt. So I think it's all very applicable, very helpful. Yeah, yep. And it's, it's you know, and I think part of the reason people have anxiety disorders is that they want to be safe. And the more you're trying to be safe, the, the smaller your bubble gets. And, you know, you, you know, one time or two times, it's fine. You know, you don't push yourself and I'll be safe. And then, but the next time your bubble is a little bit smaller and a little bit smaller. And eventually, you know, people come in for treatment when their bubble is so small that they can't, you know, live anymore. And, and that's, that's what we want to try to do is just keep expanding the bubble and, and make them live a, a full life. So, Oh, that's great. That's great therapy practice. I like to hear that as opposed to just medication and that's it. Wow. Um, uh, back to the breathing. Is there any particular breathing technique that helps with anxiety? Um, and it's a lot of the same. So with people with panic disorder, and that's kind of the extreme of that physiological part of anxiety, um, the breathing, there's, there's actually somebody um, that does just breathing type techniques and getting people less sensitive um, to uh, the, the carbon dioxide. So um, a lot of the same breathing techniques, the nasal breathing is really helpful. You know, probably the simplest one that I have people do is just breathing down into the diaphragm. A lot of times, um, you know, for people who just aren't used to any breathing exercises, they tend to breathe in the chest and that just sort of short breaths don't really, you know, kind of actually amplify the sympathetic response where if you breathe down into the diaphragm, breathing down where your stomach goes, in and out that um, brings about a parasympathetic response. And so your body slows down and, and that's, you know, can, that's probably the simplest thing is um, Brett Jones always talks about crocodile breathing. And I think yeah. that might've come from Greg Cook, but laying on your stomach um, and just feeling your belly sort of breathe into the ground. And, and that's, that's probably a really good practice for, for many people to reduce anxiety. Oh, that's great. I might do a video on that later today to share with people so they have an idea what that looks like, because that's it's a very good way to learn the proper way to breathe into a diaphragm. Yep. Yeah, you get that, that, that feedback from feeling your stomach on the ground. Yep. Yeah, and everybody has a ground somewhere, so anybody can do this. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, do you still track things like heart rate variability and resting your heart rate and stuff like that? I do. I, um, I play around with that quite a bit. I kind of go back and forth, but I, I have a, a watch that measures my heart rate variability throughout the day. I had a mat on the bed and that, that was kind of a neat thing. I could see where I wake up and, you know, it would give me a recovery number. Um, but the watch seems to be doing pretty much the same thing. So I like to track that. Um, and, you know, when it gets at recovery, but heart rate variability is also kind of a, a proxy for your parasympathetic response or your, you know, rather, you know, we have the gas, the sympathetic response. And we also, if you've got a, a Lamborghini, you want a good braking system too. So you want that parasympathetic response. So HRV also measures that parasympathetic response, how good you can kind of gas and brake and, and maneuver. Um, if I take that analogy as far as I can, but. That was great. Well, I, um, 
like you, um, I bought my wife an Apple Watch for our anniversary, and I got myself one. It's great because I can we can help keep each other accountable, but also heart rate variability on there, which is great because it'll do it randomly. I'm like, oh, 20, I need to take some breaths and get back up to the 93 or something. Uh, yeah. It's, it's really good. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And um, I don't know about you, but um, I really enjoy when I'm trying to teach people about breathing, uh, the box breath it seems to be the simplest one to teach people, um, either four seconds or up to five seconds. And um, do you use that at all in your practice? I, I do. Um, uh, yeah. I, box breathing is kind of, like you said, it's one of those things I can just pull out really quickly. I've been doing some of the um, like free diving type of exercises where I do breath holds. Um, so I've been trying that a little bit too. And, and Peter Lakatos um, really got me on that and just, you know, kind of um, just pausing your breathing for a little bit and, you know, I have a little timer um, and it takes you, it's, it's that sort of, you've got uh, interval where you hold your breath, a rest interval, hold your breath again. So I, I play with that a little bit. Um, so it's a, just kind of a more of a elaborate box breathing, but longer durations of, of breath holds. Oh, that's super cool. I, I know when we're doing the oxygen advantage, you, you breathe out and then, you know, then you count as opposed to inhaling. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. I, um, I have a couple of friends that I train that are bow hunters and they took it very seriously and they, they get their resting heart rate down to like fifties and stuff. It's, it's pretty cool stuff. All it's amazing. Yeah. It's free. Yep. I, I worked at a, an event with Peter um, and the whole time he's wearing, a, a, you know, and I, I didn't quite get it all until afterwards I put it all together, but he's wearing a, um, blood oxygen, gosh, I'm forgetting what the name of it is, on his finger, and he's watching his blood oxygen level go down, and he gets really excited when he gets down to like 85, and then, you know, but he's doing breath holds, and I'm like, I'm talking to him, and he's not talking back to me, and like, he'll wait, and then all of a sudden, like 45 seconds later, he'll start talking to me, and it's like he was holding his breath, I'm sorry, to, but he does that all day long, I mean, he's constantly practicing these type of things, and um, so I was pretty amazed, so I take that as inspiration, that I need to do more of those those things throughout the day. Yeah, thank you, Peter. I'm, I'm inspired now too. I've got a couple of pulsometers, and I, I carry one in my gym bag and one in my truck because I'm, I'm a nerd and I like go climb up to the elevation. I'm like, what is it at right now? Oh, 96. Pretty saturated. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is so fun. Um, pulsometers might be a little bit hard to get right now, but they're a good tool to have. Yeah. Really cool stuff. Oh, I love this. I'm, I'm taking. I've got tons of notes here, Craig. Like just, just <laughs> notes. Uh, this is good stuff. Um, back to your article about what hurts you a little is good for you. I think it kind of encompasses this. There's a really fun story in there. Do you want to share that story about the the prince? Oh, um, yeah. The um, gosh, I, I'm gonna have to remember what I wrote. But yeah, there, so the original um, story was uh, this this prince um, had um, his father had died from poisoning and. Um, and so, you know, he was worried about being poisoned himself. There was a, a, an attempt on his life by poisoning. He found out it was his mother who was, you know, very much wanting power. And um, so he went off into the desert, trained, um, learned how to, to do weapons, how to, to run an army, but also was at the same time taking all of these poisons and little dose by little dose. And he built up this immunity to poisons by, by taking small doses of it. And I, I forgot the number, but like he had this special mixture of like 40 different poisons um, that he was taking. Um, and and then he eventually became, went back and, you know, took over power. Um, and I believe he died. He was in a situation where he was surrounded and 
um, was going to be taken prisoner and he took poison to just end his life because he didn't want to become a prisoner and the poison didn't work on him. So um, if I'm remembering that story right. But, but you know, that, that same idea that where our body adapts and the, the little bit of stress helps us adapt. Um, I don't recommend this to anybody, but there's been some studies just on radiation. And we have a response to radiation that actually uh, protects us. And, um, you know, so a certain amount of x-rays, I've always said, oh, those are bad. We try to avoid it. But a certain amount actually causes a protective response. And, and there's so many of these um, hermetic responses that we have in our body that, you know, like the cold exposure, you know, we build up this response to it. Heat exposure, we, we have this mechanism. Um, so, you know, anything that, and I, and the more I read into this, it's, it's, you know, the breathing, we have this response. Um, the more we challenge our body with the right amount of stress, we have a response that makes us stronger, stronger in the end. So that's what got really fascinating for me about all of this. Oh, it's so true. And I think it ties into the, um, what you're working on right now, like um, anti-fragility, you know, like how to become not just strong, but like how to adapt. So um, you're working on a book on this. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it's again, you know, maybe a selfish endeavor. I was just trying to learn as much as I could. Um, You know, it was originally going to start with, you know, stories of people who have had anxiety disorders, how, you know, pushing their against their fears really changed their lives. Um, Kind of the same thing with the, you know, exercise, the physical component. But the more I got into different mechanisms, like I kept discovering more and more of them. So the book has expanded a bit and, you know, talking about many of these different mechanisms and it gets into a little bit more of the details of what's actually happening in the body. And, um, you know, there's a, gosh, I'm forgetting my, my, term, but it's by Mark Matson about um, vegetables, and he calls them noxious phytochemicals. And, <laughs> and I just love that terminology because that's how I feel about vegetables. They're just noxious, noxious um, phytochemicals. But, um, but yeah, I mean, the same thing, like vegetables are thought to be great antioxidants. And, you know, oxidants are, are thought to, you know, break down the body. But in small doses, oxidants are a signaling mechanism that lead us to to change so there's been studies that look at taking high amounts of antioxidants after exercise actually reduces the effect of exercise so you don't want to do antioxidants after exercise um, because we need that signaling to say we're damaged we need to repair we need to repair and become better than we were Um, but a lot of the effects of vegetables might be related to um, the noxiousness of it, that they're, they're meant to, um, you know, not be eaten and our body responds to it and becomes stronger because, uh, you know, the, the, the phytochemicals in there um, cause a, a response in our body. So wow. that's some big stuff to digest right there. I like, the, it. I like the pun too, <laughs> of, of digesting because it's, uh, yep. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Is that Mark's Daily Apple, Mark, you mentioned? Uh, no, Mark Metzen's a, a scientist. I, I can certainly share uh, articles if you want to put anything oh, yeah. in the links or something. But yeah, yeah helpful. Yep. Yep. Well, you were also featured in, in Mark's Daily Apple. Um, sent me over a link yesterday. That was awesome. It's so cool because he's got his audience over there that um, you know more endurance running and stuff like that. And he literally gives an example of your research on the field. It's really cool. Um, how'd you get involved with him? Uh, it, it, uh, 
Brad Kearns is kind of a, a good friend of mine, and, and uh, we just started talking about it. And a lot of the things Mark Daly's Apple does, I mean, they, they were both endurance triathletes and had been pushing, 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 and their bodies were starting to break down. They were pretty elite level um, athletes. And with Primal Endurance was one of their first books. Uh, they talked about either run fast or walk slowly and nothing, don't do the things in between. And that really fits in with a lot of uh, Pavel's work and Verkoshansky before him, this idea that you, know, you, know, you sprint or you do a lot of walking and slow aerobic work. And, and so that kind of fit into what we were doing at Strong First. And, and I just started talking to him about uh, the, the process there. And you know, he was doing a lot of sprints, but he was doing a, a hit style. Um, with the short rest intervals because and and once you do a lot of endurance you get kind of hungry for that that feeling of acid and you know breaking down and things you feel like you've accomplished something if at the end you're like flat out on the ground worn out and we just start talking about the same principles apply where you need to you know recover at the end you should feel like you can go do more after you finish and um, so that's yeah that's how I got involved with them and they're just a, a really great group a lot of I really like that sort of mindset that they have of just getting things back to simpler um, more natural natural ways of doing things oh I dig it I appreciate that so much and um, you know I think that helps encapsulate why people probably gravitate or have been doing hit because they think that they should feel crushed after a workout. And I, and I, I try and meet them halfway. I try and be curious, say the person had a busy day at work and they want to go to a, a class or a session. They want to feel like they did something in that session. They want to feel it immediately and they want to be sore for a day or two hit. Yeah. It's applicable mm -hmm. there. Right. But if a person really has goals past that day or past that week, it, you know, training more intelligently, uh, is going to benefit not just, uh, the way they feel, but their health and wellness as well. So definitely so. Yeah. And, and going back to that idea of, you know, is hit all bad or, you know, I, I think and it's part of like the way that I train, like I'll do cycles of things. And once in a while, I think, and, and Pavel will say this too, is you need a competition. You need um, a short amount of time where, you know, you're doing hit for, you know, every once in a while, just to kind of burn out the system to, to force it to adapt in an extreme manner. But then you need to recover, you know, just like you don't do a max deadlift every time you try to lift, you'll do it every six weeks or so. And that's the same style, I think, with HIT or those type of things. Um, I need to do a snatch test every once in a while, um, yeah. even though, I, you know, nobody likes to do a snatch <laughs> test. But, or, some people maybe do. But. Statistics. Yeah, you're right. And I like that you guys um, have that into your, your philosophy as well. You know, I, I train for life. Most people I train for are similar mindset, but it is nice sometimes to go in to do something and, and see if how you feel and just have a suffer fest for a little bit. For example, I started training at, at a new gym a month ago, um, all SFGs and SFLs, um, great people, and they have a lot of tools I had never seen. Um, so like a, a, a echo bike, like a salt bike, right? Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. a Concept2 rower. I had never, this is embarrassing, never used either one, right? So I'm like, give me a little breakdown on how to even adjust the seat and all this stuff. And mm -hmm. then what is what is your number that you hit? So I have something to, to gauge. And then on the echo bike, it was like, how quick can you burn 10 calories? I'm like, I don't know, you know what this is even measuring or why I'm doing it. <laughs> but uh, his, his record was 11 seconds. And so I shot for 11 and I got 11. I'm like, that sucked, but we did it. Now mm -hmm. I know what that feels like. And uh, yeah, it's, it's nice to know like when you can apply it uh, in a somewhat competitive, fun competitive way. Yeah. So, 
Yeah. And, and all of those protocols like that are in the quick and the dead. I think they adapt to those type, like an echo bike. I think, you know, you can do sprints on that really well. Um, I did. They're not, that. They're not, I mean, and that's what Tabata did. A lot of them were on, on bikes, um, his protocols at the beginning. Um, but the rower, like I do that, I, I got a rower too. And it, it just, the rower doesn't even have metrics that go in the, the short intervals really that yeah. we want to do, but I'll do, you know, 20 seconds on 40 seconds off or, you know, 45 seconds off. And um, it's, it's hard. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Oh gosh, uh, is it the Concept Two rower? I'm guessing. Yep, yep. Oh, it's so cool. I I didn't know how to adjust that thing last week, and then Ryan helped me adjust it and put it on eight. And he's like, "Here's a 500 meter. How just do it, and I'll tell you if you did good." And I think it's like a, a minute 40 or a minute 38 or something. That's great. Yeah. Thank you. I, and again, I never trained for it ever. I didn't know what that was until five minutes before it. Training the way that you and I have trained before to carry over. It's it's just right there. Yeah. You know, and I like the rower. Quite a bit. I, you know, I, Pavel and I were talking about what exercises could be alternatives for the 033. And I, I like the rower. I, it's like, to me, if you think about it, if you look at it, it's like a deadlift. Yeah. Um, we're just, you know, angle is just different, but we're basically doing a deadlift. And if you do it mostly with your, your legs, and then the top part is just the standing up of the deadlift. I mean, you're, you're getting your legs and your, your uh, posterior chain involved. Um, I like the rower for that reason. I think and I asked Stu McGill about this. Um, his wife is a, a big rower and people who row tend to also whip their back. And, you know, that's okay if you've got the good technique. And I think it's important to have good technique on the rower, but if people just do it like they're doing a deadlift, I think you can get by and, and get some really good um, benefits from a rower. So I don't think we have to learn, I'll learn how to whip our backs or do things like rowers do, but if we keep it like a deadlift, I, I think we're pretty safe and, and it's a, a good, good exercise for many people. Oh, that's so encouraging. I'm going to go do that today. I, uh, I like you, I've enjoyed playing with other exercises in these time frames. Um, you know, trying to just keep it lively and also kettlebells aren't really prevalent. Like I've got a lot of kettlebells, thank God, but you can't just go buy kettlebells right now. So what else can we do? How do we adapt? Exactly. Eric got me, um, he, we were someplace and he just had a jump rope with him. And, you yeah. know, when you're traveling, you can't bring a kettlebell. You sometimes <laughs> don't have a gym. I mean, he, he's always got a jump rope with him, it seems yeah. like. So jump rope is also good. Uh, he gave me good advice about jump ropes. He, I have arthritis on both my feet. He's like, start jumping rope. Just deal with it. I'm like, oh, okay. So started jumping rope and it, it got better. It just That's awesome. Yeah, I'd adapt. Oh, this is so helpful. I've got so many good things to put in the show notes that people can benefit from immediately. Um, can I ask you how you're currently training yourself? Um, as I mentioned, I kind of do some cycles of, of different things. So right now I'm in the, there's a hypertrophy plan um, that we came up with and it's gets a little bit acidic. So what, what I do is I do a set of 25 swings with a 48 kilogram. Um, I feel a lot of burn in the posterior chain, but then I have 10 minutes of rest before the next set of, of 25. So in that 10 minutes, I'll do three sets of presses. Um, and those presses, I, I kind of do a plan strong version of that. And this is, um, for, I'm sorry for people who don't know these terms, but that's just varying um, variation in the, the number of reps and, and um, the weight. But so I'll kind of uh, have some variability in my presses and then I'll do another set of 25. And so the idea behind it was, you know, what we think about the, you know, all of the stuff Pavel mentioned, 
usually we think we don't want any acid. Like there's the um, A plus A program, the lactic plus aerobic. And the idea is don't get any of the glycolytic system working, that, that sort of middle system. And with 25 reps, you get the glycolytic system going. You feel the acid, you feel the, the, the burn. But the idea is if you've got the burn, you've got 10 minutes to, to get the acid out of the system. There's some benefit to having acid in the system. And, and in this case, we think it's more hypertrophy. And, you know, um, a lot of, you know, the bodybuilder style reps are more reps, you know, not 25, but, you know, 10 to 12 reps. And you're getting a little bit acidic in the muscles when you do bodybuilder style reps. And that's kind of the idea with this program is you get a little acid in the body. It's in the lower half, but then when you're doing presses, you've got a little bit of this buildup. And um, so I do three weeks of this, and then I'll go to like a 033. I might do a test of, of where I'm at. Um, I always try these challenges. Um, when I first started reading Pavel's work, I thought he was challenging me, and, and I know that sounds silly, but um, like he would talk about the, you know, the Marines have a, a pull-ups where if you get 25, you get the, the max score. And, you know, the new army test has 25 pull-ups is, you know, kind of getting the max score. So I always try to make sure I can do things like this. So I, I try to make sure I can do once in a while train for pull-ups. And I was like, I need to do 25 or I'll need to, you know, deadlift uh, two, two and a half times my body weight. So I'll, sometimes I'll go on a, a training program like that and then something specialized but for the most part i'm just doing 033 hypertrophy plan um, once in a while a challenge or two so the, the 033 is kind of my go-to base plan for the most most of the time though cool thank you for elaborating that and i'm glad to hear that because that's my base plan too when in default it's 033 <laughs> yeah yep. yeah it just and works you feel great afterwards Yep. And, and you and I know 033, but maybe for listeners, that's the plan outlined in The Quick and the Dead. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And The Quick and the Dead, um, it's a great book. It's on Amazon. It's It, it outlines how to do this. I get emailed all the time, like, how does it work? I like, just buy the book. It's Pavel's work. <laughs> yeah. But basically, it's two exercises, a push <laughs> and, and a hinge. Yep. And it's just, Pavel's writing is just so awesome. You got to you got to read the way he writes about it. So Oh, and I have the audio book, too. And when I, the audio book came out last year, I like got tears of joy because he, he says my name, he says your name in there, Matthew's name. And I'm like, Whoa, Pavel said, like I made it my ringtone for a while. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> that I love very, it. I love it. Thank you. I was very encouraged by that. But yeah, listening to him talk, it, it's entertaining, informative, direct, and kind. It, it just works. Yep. Well, that's awesome. And when you do your Q and D, do you do it fasted or? I do most of the time, yeah, because I'm usually doing it early morning, um, and I I try to do at least a 14, 16-hour fast, mostly 18 hours a day, um, and then once in a while, it's, I do an extended fast. But yeah, so it's usually morning, um, probably at a, at least 12 hours when I do it, and then I got another couple hours of, of fast after that. But. That's really cool. I like that a lot. Um, is there a benefit to doing it fasted, and is there a benefit to not having a recovery shake afterwards or eating afterwards if i mean it probably depends a little bit on your goals you know i think for me you know the without getting into the physiology too much you're, you're trying to um, bring down your atp as quickly as possible you have an ampk response um, which uh, triggers more mitochondria so down the chain uh, triggers more mitochondria being built um, if you eat 
um, you're not necessarily, you're kind of shutting that off because you have an insulin response, IGF comes and that shuts off that AMPK response. So if your goal is more endurance, I think not eating afterwards is perfectly fine. If you're trying to build as much muscle as possible, you probably want to have a recovery shake afterwards. And, and again, you can cycle these type of things like the hypertrophy plan I'm doing now, like I'll eat right afterwards. And so I, I won't fast as long on the days I'm training. Um, you know, so it, it probably, again, I think it's good to adjust it every once in a while. Um, that, that idea of cycling through things, I think, goes along with adapt, adaptation. So. Oh, I love it. And very well explained. Yeah, so like you, I, I don't really want more muscle right now. So fasted seems to work very well for me. And my goal is just I want health and wellness and more mitochondrial efficiency and heart rate variability, all the benefits, all the side effects. Um, yeah, so if you want muscle, eat. If you, if you want the more underlying stuff, don't. <laughs> yep, yep. And, and just, uh, you know, some of the, you mentioned the, the telomeres. Yes. But what I'm also fascinating about, fascinated about is this, um, you know, longevity benefits. And when we, you know, fast or when we, you know, do these workouts that are, are, are practice that's um, generating more AMPK, we're also causing an autophagy response. We're getting rid of mitochondria that aren't functioning that well. And this is really, mitochondria are thought to be associated with so many disease processes. And, you know, um, so when we do that, we're also probably helping ourselves live longer. Also, uh, even with immune response, and I think immune response is really important. We're thinking about it quite a bit right now. I think it helps with uh, building a better immune system. So. Um, I, I think that's also another benefit that uh, we get. And the more we overtrain, the, the more we weaken our immune response. And I've definitely experienced that many times. Like, no rest, too much volume, injury, or sick. <laughs> it just all, almost always happens. So it's that, like your body but, wants to adapt and wants to... Yep, yep. <laughs> but it just can't just, all right, we're stopping now. So yep, that's yep. very good advice, um, especially right now during the pandemic. If you'd like to work on your immune system, this is a... A safe and effective way to, to help with that. That's a very big takeaway for a lot of people. Oh, this is this has been amazing, Craig. Is there anything else you want to cover? Um, I mean, I think you and I could. I would love just to sit down and talk to you. We don't have to necessarily do a podcast. Yeah. I mean, it's always great. We always have. We've always had really good email conversations, and so that's uh, an at us an assert. Um, we don't get to talk like this as much. So I, I think we just need to, to sit down and um, talk more. I need to come up and see you when I can start traveling again. But. Oh, I would love that, Craig. I, I always enjoy talking to you. I learn so much. We share notes. And I, you get me very inspired. The, my mirror right here is all A&A and 033, 044 notes on my, my mirror right here. So you've been very helpful in my life, and uh, I really appreciate it. And um, well, and again, I'm not going to take any credit for it because, I mean, Pavel is really the, the brilliant man behind all these ideas. And, and, and uh, Verkashansky and other people he's pulling from, too. I, I, I mean, I, I just got to, to ride the, the wave of this. Um, so I'm, I'm just glad to be part of it. Oh, you're very humble, and I, I appreciate that about you. Um, I'm going to have links to, uh, to you and, and um, your upcoming book when it comes out. I'll update this show notes so people can get your book on anti-fragility. Uh, Dr. Dr. Craig Marker, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate being on the podcast. My pleasure, Sean. I... Awesome. And to listeners and viewers out there, I'm going to put notes out here on how you can learn more about Craig's work. Uh, he's got several, several very well-written articles, so I'll have that in the show notes. And until next time, take care. Mm-hmm.